So can I just take up the next however many minutes of this podcast talking about how amazing he is? Because I'll cut you off eventually. Aaron, your right arm is not attached to the shoulder anymore. I'm good. I'm lefty now, Skip. Delete the tweet has such a nice ring to it. It's rhyme. It does, doesn't it? And welcome to episode 16 of Artificial Turf Wars, where a pop-up is as good as a strikeout. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Josh Housem. How you doing, Josh? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, Chris has sent me a telegram, it appears, something about... Hmm. Being stuck in the 1800s, which is why he can't make it. <laughs> it is unfortunate when your time machine <laughs> malfunctions. All right, moving right along. We have a upbeat week to, t- week to talk about in Blue Jays land. We have a 5-2 and two record. Uh, we have the bats hitting things with runners on and over the fence. <laughs> and it's a foreign concept. Um, we're going to talk about everybody pretty much in the rotation. The scuffling J-Hap and the we don't know what he's doing exactly yet, Marcus Stroman. And then the always excellent Marco Estrada and Aaron Sanchez. How long is Aaron Sanchez bound for this rotation? Hmm. I don't know. We're going to go to listener questions. We have a cliche of the week. Yes. Are you protecting your plate? Uh, and then we have a, a little do-over. And as usual, our final thoughts. And uh, that should take us through another Artificial Turf Wars edition. We will begin with the Bats. This is a weird team. Because last week we called them out for actually being a team that really couldn't hit, didn't we? Was that last week or two weeks ago? I'm pretty sure it was last week. Last week was like, okay, fine. Finally, it's not early. They don't know how to hit. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. It was early, maybe. Or maybe this is the fluke. You, you yeah, never know. Right. You know, it takes so long to figure out how long a fluke takes to not be a fluke. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying. So they scored, oh. uh, I believe it was... 11 runs and 10 runs and 11 runs against Baltimore. But they also scored zero runs well, a couple the of first, times. In it. The, the last one there and the zero runs game were both against Philly. Mm. But they were also shut out by Detroit the previous week. So this team knows how to score double-digit runs. Or not at all. <laughs> um. That night that they got shut out, though, that was wasn't that they gave Encarnacion the night off. Well, it wasn't a night off so much as he was hurt. He he injured his thumb sliding into the base. I see. But as a result, all of the offense evaporated. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's hit a home run in each of the last few games. So yeah, that was pretty much the offense. I and mean, he's on absolute fire. He's hit seven home runs in his last twelve games. That's quite good. In case people are not sure about it and he he does this every year he does something like this and then people look back on the whole season and they go oh 38 40 home runs whatever you know somewhere in that neighborhood and so many runs driven in and ah good batting average good OB and people every year forget that Edwin Arcanacion when he's cold is ice cold 
And when he's hot, <laughs> it's like the surface of the sun, and you can't throw him anything he doesn't destroy. The um, mistake pitch that he hit, <coughs> pardon me, for a home run in the first inning. Even Pat Tabler knew that you shouldn't throw a pitch there. <laughs> <laughs> He, he literally, one pitch before, he goes, and see that pitch on the inner half? That should be the only one that he sees for the rest of his time in, in Philly. That was just to show him that they could throw one inside. And then Ruiz moves to the inner half, and Edwin just crushes the pitch. It was one of those courtesy <laughs> one-steps with, with the outfielder. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, but the he, thing is, he's not the only guy who's hitting right now. True. You know, Donaldson is heated back up and Kevin Pillar has decided he wants to join the offense again because he I mean even for Kevin Pillar he was hitting extremely poorly oh yeah he he, and you could see it with the pitches he was chasing even for Kevin Pillar like when it's Mm -hmm. when it's in the dirt in the opposite batter's box and Pillar can't quite hold up it's like okay reel it in a little bit Kev (laughs) yeah well but in in his last 22 games which is not a super tiny sample it's still small he's hitting 291 322 477 and you'll notice the on-base percentage was higher than the batting average is <laughs> <laughs> three walks and hit by pitch in there i mean those numbers for his defense if he can do that over a whole, whole season he would be a elite player and obviously he's not going to he's be for some who swings that much he's going to be streaky but when he's on his streaks like he is right now and he had a couple of them last year he's really really good yeah He's a strange player, but I, I just because of that, I just can't get behind him. I wish I could, but I just—he's so. I, I guess it's the lack of discipline when he's running cold, right? When Encarnacion's running cold, to me, it looks like he sees the pitch he wants and his timing is off. So it's a good pitch; it's a hittable pitch in the zone. But for whatever reason, he doesn't hit it. He fouls it off. He swings through a pitch or two. Kevin Pillar just goes hacking and i hope we're not trying to hold kevin pillar to an edwin Encarnacion standard (laughs) no i am not i'm just saying why i get frustrated is because the it's that there is no discipline apparently when he's struggling he's so desperate to put the bat on the ball that like everything goes out the window as to where that ball might be and surrounded by hitters who are very zone conscious Donaldson and and um, anybody above him in the lineup knows where a strike is and where a ball is. Even Michael Saunders and Justin Smoke, as much as they have their problems, all know when they're not when they're being pitched around. And believe it or not, Kevin Pillar gets pitched around, but it doesn't matter most of the time. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I oh, well, actually, I don't. He has three home runs in the last eight games, and they're all on pitches on the inner third. I don't know why anybody would ever ever throw Kevin Pillar a pitch on the inner third of the plate because of his twisting swing that's the only way he can hit it hard (laughs) (laughs) if you throw him a pitch low and away he can reach out and dump it over the second baseman's head which he's done a few times but that's just a single yep you said it last year I think when he was on the test why would you pitch inside also uh, why would you throw him fastballs (laughs) it's also a good question (laughs) but anyway teams are doing it right now and he's hitting them so that is good I hope they don't listen to this. Anybody listens to this because now they've got a hint that they could cool them off again. Um, so, yeah, you can't score 11 runs and not have everybody in the lineup doing something positive. Uh, Russell Martin looks better. 
Mm -hmm. I I think he's healthier because he's started throwing runners out again, too. Yeah, I mean, that was the weirdest part, which, again, gives credence to what you were just saying about him being hurt. But I mean, last year, he led the league in stealing percentage. And this year, I think it was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was in the 20s, consecutive stolen bases successful against him. And he was dead last in percentage, even you know, when you factor in the whole year. So yep. <clears throat> it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So that's better. Obviously, Michael Saunders, which I pointed out uh, when I was... Uh, I saw it on, on Twitter, and I added it to the recap the other night. Seventh inning or later, Michael Saunders is hitting like Ted Williams, <laughs> <laughs> which is unreal. Anyway, so I guess the general point is that the offense is starting to click a little bit more close to what we expected. And now Chulowitzki had a bit of a setback, but he's playing again, and they do expect him this time to actually be back Monday, so that could even be a nice little boost. It's interesting that we have not particularly missed Tulowitzki between his depressed numbers and the fact that Darwin Barney has been hitting out of his mind. Um, it's been really weird to have Tulowitzki. Although the second baseman weren't hitting, so it was still a negative. <laughs> of course. Uh, Devin Travis appears to be not hitting for power, certainly, but his timing is improving. He has uh, dumped a bunch into right field over the last few games. Yeah, but anyway, just as we were saying, like the offense is playing better. You want to start talking about your favorite guy, but first we have to talk about Jay Happ <laughs> and Marcus Stroman, who are, uh, as the offense heats up, we have observed the uh, humanizing of some of the rotation members. Um, so Happ got lit up in Detroit, and we said, well, that's because Detroit hits lefties really, really well. Uh, did he fare particularly well in his next start? Well, I mean, he gave up four runs in seven innings against Baltimore, eight hits, no walks. I, he gave up three home runs. But, I mean, if anybody watched that series, you saw the way the ball was flying out of the dome. I think that was actually a good start. Baltimore is a really, really good hitting team, and especially a very powerful team. Yeah. So, you know, seven innings, four runs, that's not so bad. So, really, I don't. I think saying that he is scuffling is overstated. He just got rocked by the Tigers. It just seems like he was uh, not so homer prone. But, but you're right. The Baltimore hit home runs off of every single person all day, every day and made it look like nothing. They're they were like, even hitting home runs as righties against Aaron Sanchez, which doesn't happen. So it was just the ball was flying. Um, I, I'm not a, I know we're not a fan of pitcher wins around here, but I like deliciously ironic pitcher wins. Uh, Aaron Sanchez, eight innings, two runs allowed, 12 strikeouts. Like, was it one walk or no walks back in, um, in Detroit? It, his last start against the Tigers. Yeah, uh, no win. But he gave up six... <laughs> And lasted like five, five and a third, somewhere in there against Baltimore. Uh, because the Blue Jays managed to win 11 to six, he gets a W. They, they won that one 10-9. But oh, yeah. sorry. That was the 10-9 game. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. A W. Congratulations, Aaron. That's, I guess that's <laughs> the, the one that you didn't get the other time. We're, we're going to hand you a, just sort of a freebie. Um, all right. I'm going to let you talk about Marco Estrada. So can I just take up the next however many minutes of this podcast talking about how amazing he is? Because I'll cut you off eventually. <laughs> well, I mean, he just there's running out of really things to say about him. He just does the same thing every night. He goes out there, fastball, change up, fastball, change up. Every now and then a cutter and a curveball to keep you honest, then fastball, change up, and he gets pop-ups and he beats you. He tied the major league record for consecutive starts of six innings or more with five or fewer hits. This is a guy who throws 88 miles an hour, not giving up hits. He's awesome. And it's 
real, right? I mean, at this point, it's been over a season of this. It's kind of hard to say it's a fluke. It, it is. And again, it's still weird that he got better than last year. Like, it's hard to process. Because everybody thought that batting average against... Uh, or totally batting average balls in play against is Both. under 200. Both are yeah. very low. But a lot of guys... You can limit batting average against by striking a lot of people out. <laughs> That's true. But batting average of balls in play... It's really difficult in the long run to effectively do that. So much so that the best season by a qualified starter ever on batting average and balls in play was Marco Estrada in 2015. And this year it's 30 points lower or 25 points lower. Yeah. So I had a brief discussion with a Red Sox fan on Twitter. Uh, I think it was. I think it was actually um, it was Matt Corey. Corey. Yeah, yeah. Who, who is a friend of the podcast, and and he said to me, "This is why I don't believe in him." And I, I basically said to him, "Well, I do. I don't think it's going to stay under two hundred all year. Just seems crazy." But on the flip side, let's just have this discussion at the end of July, and we'll see who's crazy. Because I, I really yeah. don't. There's no precedent for that, right? Well, and I think that he is always going to have extremely low bad bips. I mean, he's he was never high, but. The reason he's going to have low is because he gets up all these fly balls, and they're either outs or home runs, neither of which count as batting average on balls in play. You know, he just doesn't give up hard line drive contact because of the way his ball stays up. And again, there there are a lot of extreme fly ball pitchers in baseball, but none of them have a sub-200 batting average on balls in play. Um, you know, you look at – I was looking at Koji Yohara because of the, the uh, one at bat I wrote this week. And he's like 23% ground ball rate. But his BABIP isn't that low. It, it is, well, he, I, I think the best comp is actually Chris Young. I mean, he's obviously six inches or 10 inches taller than Marco Estrada. But last year, his batting average on balls in play was 209. Because like Estrada, he's an extreme up-in-the-zone high-spin fastball guy. So he gets a lot of pop-ups. And it also helps that he was playing in Kauffman Stadium. But the year before that, 238. So, but it is it is a long way from two thirty eight down to one ninety. Is all I'm yeah, saying. No, I, no I, I said the reason it's going to always be low. I didn't right. say it was going to be historically low. Which is fantastic for the Blue Jays because you can put them out there every night, and provided you put even a half decent outfield defense out there, you're good to go. Uh, would you like to talk about a significant milestone as a Blue Jays record, and then as a single season major league record? I actually mentioned it already, but it's not even a single season one. It is the major league record for consecutive starts with six innings or more and five or fewer hits is 10. And he has tied it. It was uh, Johnny Cueto and Jake Arrieta in 2014 and Johan Santana in 2004. They're the only people who have done it. If you take away innings limits, there it goes as high as 22 for Tony Singrani. But if you... No, if you don't care about how long a guy goes, a, a hit total stat doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, we we yanked him because he threw, he walked a dozen people and he couldn't get through the fifth. Um, very cool, very cool. So you are, if you think you're watching something weird in Marco, Marcus, yeah, Marco Estrada. There's too many Marcos in on the Blue Jays. Marcus, Marco, uh, you are. Keep watching. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez. There was news that wasn't exactly news it was just mentioned by john gibbons that aaron sanchez is gonna have to go 
still to the bullpen. Yeah, that was sad. It was. And, and I think it was news. It was always expected, but it wasn't ever the case. So is this just the manager hedging his bets and saying, all right, if I say it now and we do it, you're not all going to freak out when we do it. But if I say it now and then we never get around to it, nobody's going to come back and say, well, you said he was going to the bullpen. Oh, they probably will. <laughs> you know, someone will, will come and say, like, hey, 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 you lied to us back then. He'd be like, yeah, we don't need to anymore. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's really interesting and somewhat disconcerting to hear him the way he discussed it. He said he's coming up on his innings. You know, he's throwing a lot of innings. Why are we still concerning ourselves with how many innings a pitcher throws? It's like if, if Aaron Sanchez was pitching like he was at the beginning of 2015 and he was going five innings to start but still throwing 110 pitches, would that mean he stays in the rotation longer? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the way that they're ta he's talking about it, it sounds like it. I was hoping that they would just be monitoring fatigue. And this, again, this could just be John Gibbons just speaking colloquially because he doesn't really want to go into detail. But if it is innings, it's insane. And that the innings, the word innings, does not really come up when Ross Atkins is asked these questions. Yeah, or actually, or Mark Spiro. They, 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 you're right. They do say, like, we're going to monitor him and see, see, see how he's fatiguing, see how he's recovering and all that, which is the way you should be doing it. And I would, I would tend to think that because the real decision about when to move him is ultimately in their hands, maybe they've, they've indicated to John Gibbons that um, we don't see a way to get him all the way through the season in the starting rotation. So you should plan to make a, some other plan for your starting rotation, and we will tell you when that's most likely to happen. You know what I Although mean? Although if they don't see a way, it would imply that they are looking at hard numbers because – there's no reason he's he's not showing any sign of fatigue yet. So how could they really know they can't do it? But your general point, I think, is right. Is that they've 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 portrayed or conveyed something to Gibbons, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna tell people this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fall on someone described it as falling on a grenade as a manager. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm gonna answer this question because you asked it, and if it blows up, well, it blows up. But now. Aaron Sanchez doesn't have to answer the question. Uh, not that that's key, but I think that's helpful because I know Aaron <laughs> Sanchez is not going to know the answer to the question until they come to him and tell him whatever it is they're they're basing it on. We've we've made the determination. You're moving. Like he's he's not going to be the one who goes. Oh, I feel kind of tired, or no. I don't I don't know about my curveball this week or these last two three starts i think maybe it's time to go to the bullpen it's not his <laughs> choice I, I would hope not i'm good skip aaron your right arm is not attached to the shoulder anymore i'm good i'm lefty now skip i've been talking to Diddy. it's all good <laughs> i've been secretly training yeah it's always i'm good skip that's the worst thing about pitchers is is like they all seem to believe if you're honest that's just one way to lose your job yeah. What's wrong and with And speaking you as someone who pitches with shoulder pain all the time, 100% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I need a job and I can't get it uh, any other way. Oh my goodness. Are there any other main line issues here that we have not covered for well, the offense and I think the defense? It should be worth, well, not for the offense, no, but I think it should just be worth mentioning that 
they, the bullpen is pitching better as well. And they, you know, Chavez and Storen have sort of turned it around a bit. They've changed the way they've been attacking, and it's working. So that's kind of interesting. I wrote a piece about this for Baseball Perspectives Toronto. So what a coincidence! Detail, go, go read it. What a coincidence! <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's going to be somebody who isn't on the podcast who we're going to hear from on the staff this week. Like, why didn't you plug my piece? Oh, well, you didn't ask. <laughs> no, it's so I said, well, it's just because we're on the podcast and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Um, you know what the next question is going to be. All right. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of questions, I think we should maybe go to the ones from the listeners that actually interest people. Uh, we, of course, solicited for questions and we received a few. Um, yeah, we did. It was nice. Uh, Want to start with my buddy, Brian? Sure. Brian, uh, longtime questioner, also longtime listener, at big underscore B underscore SR. Uh, as with Estrada, Hap, and Stroman, do we really need Sanchez as a starter in the playoffs? Seems better suited for the bullpen then. Hmm. I think the answer to that is, well, I guess need is probably not, I mean, it's probably accurate, right? They don't need Sanchez, but he would be the best guy there at this point other than Marco Estrada, right? Yeah. So you kind of want your upside in your rotation, especially because in the playoffs, you, your relievers get constant rest, so you don't really need as many of them. That being said, having an elite guy coming in the sixth and seventh innings and throwing two innings at a time is very valuable. Also, yeah. Um, I, think, I think you don't know for sure because Marco Estrada has been, as we just observed, very, very, very consistent at what he does. Stroman and Hap have had really great stretches but have also had some inconsistency Mm -hmm. so the question is when you come to the playoffs and you're in september let's say we god god forbid actually get there again god forbid (laughs) uh well all that stress i don't know if i can take it again um worth it (laughs) okay so god willing get there again i guess there we go um the question is if if Strowman has had a poor September for some reason, or if Hap appears to be gassed or someone is injured, um, you know, you're thinking a little larger scope. And yes, you absolutely need to have Sanchez as someone who can give you six or seven innings. So I, I don't know if that's their other thought is if the team's in really good shape, you put Sanchez in the bullpen to save him for the playoffs. It would be tough, though, because they have to stretch him back out. But you're right. It could be we're doing that. They could stretch them out in September, especially depending on how far or close they are to winning a division. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned this about Stroman, uh, uh, that he hasn't been pitching that well. He did make adjustments in his last start, though, which were very encouraging. We mentioned, I think it was on the last podcast, about how his curveball and his slider were exactly the same, essentially, now. Yep. He's gone back to throwing the hard slider. Intentionally. He even said it's like he, he was... He decided just to throw the hard one. So it's not moving quite as much, but it comes in 87 miles an hour. So now there's a separation between his breaking balls. Yay. Yeah. And hey, it worked. He had a really, wow. really good game. I mean, it was against the Phillies, so yeah, it doesn't mean that much. You, t- you, take, you take a little change of approach and, and mix it up with baseball's worst offense. and uh, help. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's a confidence booster. Now he won't be afraid yeah. to throw the hard one. Agreed. Next question. Which one do you want? Well, just while we're on Stroman, this is from at O Caliente, Senzel 3000. Stroman's lack of innings limit. Why? Missed too many innings last year? Basically, why does Sanchez have one and not Marcus Stroman? That's an interesting question. Do we have a firm answer on that? 
Well, I think the biggest answer for that is just simply that he has, in his career, had much higher innings totals than Aaron Sanchez has. Where, uh, Aaron Sanchez had never topped, I believe it was 120-some-odd innings, innings, 130 innings. thrown around. Sorry? I think 133 keeps getting thrown around as the number, but I don't know what year it's from. Right. Whereas Aaron Sanchez... In 2014, through 165 innings oh, across Buffalo and the, and the Blue Jays. So he can easily get up to 190 or 200 without really pushing him beyond what he's done before. Okay, you just said Sanchez. I assume you meant Stroman. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yes, okay. I definitely I meant to say Marcus Stroman. See, there are too many guys with S's. <laughs> Marcus Stroman threw 165 innings across Buffalo and Toronto in 2014. So, so the fact that he missed a year um, is not as big a deal because we know he's, he's done it at least once. Yeah, his arm has been conditioned to go deep. And he threw a lot of innings when he was at Duke as a starter. So that's the reason. Q. Uh, next question from... Oh, sorry. That, did, did you say who that last one was from? Yeah, that was from Senzel3000. Right. Uh, this one is from Jay Swamco. That's, I like that Twitter uh, name. Good old uh, Whamco. They were awesome. Oh, man. Those were the day. Um, Dave Walsh says, Who at this point looks to be a stud starter the Jays could go after? Now, this man is what we call an optimist. <laughs> because two weeks ago, were people not attempting to sell this the valuable assets of this team at the deadline so we could get something back for the farm system? Two weeks ago, people were doing it after they lost that first game to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Very reactionary. Not but, optimist. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer is nobody. This is a horrible year for pitchers on the trade market. I think the best one is Rich Hill, and he's 36 years old and injured. And is a modern fluke, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. The, was out of baseball forever, come back and dominate. Um, yeah. I mean, the other guys, Andrew Kashner, I guess. Uh, Irvin Santana. Grant Brisby actually wrote a piece about this, about how terrible the, the, the amount of starting pitchers available at the deadline. I mean, I guess the real answer is you hope that Oakland makes Sonny Gray available because other than that, it's really slim pickings. Yeah, for the for the traditional rent-a-pitcher, the two months and he hits free agency guy, right? So Yeah, they, they don't exist. It's not yeah. like last year where you had Price and Cueto available. Yeah, so if you're, if you're looking Leak. for a year and a bit, you're going to have to give up something significant. And I don't know if the Jays actually have, quote-unquote, something significant in the farm system at the moment. Unless it was Dalton Pompey. Who uh, seems to be hitting better in Buffalo, I've been told mm -hmm. by sources. Um, I, I, I mean, you can't trade Dalton Pompey now, though, because you are one injured outfielder away from desperately needing Dalton Pompey every day. I'm not suggesting they do it. I'm just saying no. if they needed to, he is a piece that is available. Anthony Alford has no trade value at the moment because he keeps getting injured. He's out with a concussion at the moment. I mean, there are other pieces that are good. But there aren't those elite pieces, those maybe not A-plus prospects, but A-minus or B-plus guys that they had last year, like Norris or Hoffman, that could be headliners for those kind of guys. Cool. Uh, that, I believe, is all the questions I see. Yeah, not a lot of questions this week, but that's okay. You can help us next week, people. <laughs> <laughs> be famous. Get your name right on the podcast. Join, gain Twitter followers. Anything could happen, really, right? Sure, maybe. Get uh, the turf pod bump. The turf pod bump. That is just Sounds a strange like a dance. phrase. Yeah, what, what are we doing? Um, 
I had a cliche that we did not have time for last week. Okay. And, and, and I, I normally have a big rant about cliches, but I, I think I would like to engage you more on this one. The cliche that comes up a lot is pro- he's protecting the plate. Buck and Tabby love a guy who protects the plate. My observation is that what they are observing and what they're describing are two very, very different things. Because they <laughs> think that Kevin Pillar and Russell Martin and to some lesser extent, I'm sure, Justin Smoke protect the plate by swinging at everything they possibly can with two strikes. Right. It's that's yeah, this is taking the idea to its extreme. Because you're right, the, you, know, you still have to be somewhat selective, even if there are two strikes. If a pitch is a foot and a half off the plate, don't swing. That's protecting the opposite batter's box. It, it can fend <laughs> or for sometimes it. your own batter's box if it's Kevin Pillar. <laughs> it can fend for itself. <laughs> also, if you swing at a pitch that almost hit you, like Kevin Pillar, how can that be protecting the plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, the whole concept of protecting the plate is just that umpires are bad. So with two strikes, if a pitch is close, you swing at it and try to foul it off or do something with it. And not if it's it, not if a, close. <laughs> and my take it also is if a pitch is going to be what you think is a strike, but it's not the pitch you thought you were going to hit, i.e. you were geared up for the fastball and you suddenly realize, oh, he's going to drop a curveball in here. I see the spin. <laughs> then you need to protect the plate, i.e. Yeah. Get some kind of contact out of it. Yeah, both of them. Basically, it's just like you don't want to get struck out looking. Cool. I'm yeah. I'm 100 in favor of that. What I don't understand is there's a perfectly good cliche that works in that situation. You should say that a guy is in swing mode. <laughs> you mean for the one that they're trying to use? Yeah, that's what yes. they mean. They yes. mean he's in swing mode. They don't mean he's trying to protect the plate because swing mode is. Pitcher releases ball, bat flies forward. Oh, it's like, yeah, this was like that. uh, It was Darwin Barney. I think it was Jake uh, Diekman who was facing, or Dykeman. Yep. And he had that 12 or 13 pitch at bat where he eventually struck out, which when Darwin Barney does that, it's usually really impressive. But he swung at, with three balls, pitches that were a foot and a half inside and outside. So while it was a great at bat, it was also pure swing mode. And all he had to do was basically throw a pitch in the dirt. He probably struck him out. Yeah, and a lot of really epic at-bats that go 10 pitches or more um, result from a guy getting himself into swing mode. And and eventually the result is, is 100% what the batter does because uh, the pitcher is not really deceiving him anymore. He is just pumping baseballs in there until something gives, and the batter is like, I'm going to swing at everything. And it, it usually gets worse and worse. Having but this is the difference between – sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But this is the difference between the guys that you were mentioning and the Bautistas and the Encarnacion's and the Donaldson's. They will take ball four even if they've swung at six straight 3-2 pitches that were in the strike zone. Yes. Um, and I think it, it comes from the fact that uh, some of those guys really, really hate to swing the baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that sounds really funny, but it, it, when I watch Jose Bautista specifically, and he does have one of the lowest swing rates in the majors, he hates to swing. He only wants to swing one time, and he wants to hit it out of the baseball park and be yeah. done. 
it's a lot of work to swing more than once. <laughs> I like that efficiency. Yeah, exactly. So we don't need to protect the plate so much. We can describe this other ways because we've gone completely off the deep end with protecting the plate. We can retire that as a let's use it all the time cliche. That was really a do-over disguised as a cliche. <laughs> well, all the cliches are cliches, are do-overs as well because – my brain is melted by the time I realize how many times they <laughs> use the cliche. Uh, all right. We do have a do-over. Um, so tonight, Mike Wilner went on Twitter to discuss. And I don't know why he did this, but he just attempted to make a comment about Ichiro's 4,257th professional hit. Well, yeah, which he hit, to, which he got today. Which is really cool for Ichiro, because as far as we know, other than Pete Rose, um, nobody has 4,200 anything hits uh, at a level that is considered the top level wherever they were playing. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yes, that is fair. And then Wilner said, why don't we add everyone else's AAA hits on and then you can tell me if Ichiro has done something significant or not. Likening his time in Japan to time in AAA. First of all, do you think that's fair? Um, I mean, they say that Japan is basically, the overall level is better than AAA, but not quite the major league, so I wouldn't say that it's fair. But, oh, actually, I'll let you continue. Go ahead. Well, And then uh, people came back to him and said, well, you just are you saying that the 2900 hits that Ichiro got in the majors are not significant, are not a significant thing? And then Wilner said, "No, I never said that." Oh. So technically, he's correct. He never said that the 2900 hits weren't weren't significant. He was basically just saying he was unimpressed with the 4,257th hit because that one was not a significant number for him. But instead of clarifying or saying, oh, you must have misunderstood me, he decided to double down and not indicate to anyone what he really meant and just let them figure <laughs> it out for themselves. Yep. Why you got to be like that, Mike? <laughs> he, he just does. <laughs> By the way, what's very funny about this? You know how many games Pete Rose played in AAA? Zero. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> so if you add Pete Rose's AAA hits to his major league hits, he has 4,256. <laughs> now, obviously you shouldn't add each of Rose hit totals together to say he has more hits than Pete Rose because they're two separate leagues. But it is still an incredible accomplishment for him. Absolutely. And, and I think I understand the point about this particular hit is not a significant hit in the grand scheme of things as, as it doesn't it doesn't really pass anybody record wise i get that but there's a lot of ways to say that that uh are a lot clearer and maybe don't make you come off as quite so i think the word is conceited <laughs> so uh, that's why it's a do-over because yeah nobody i didn't asked, see all this for the record so nobody asked mike wilner to make that tweet Nobody said, hey, what, isn't it really cool and shouldn't you recognize? No, I, I highly doubt that. So here's your opportunity. Delete the tweet. 
and we won't ever talk about it again. Pretty simple. Delete the tweet has such a nice ring to it. It does, rhyme. doesn't it? Nice cadence. <laughs> it's the good stuff. Oh. All right. We have moseyed on through all of our important topics rapidly for yes. once. You and I didn't dawdle on anything. No, we didn't. <laughs> Blame Chris for not being here. Is that because it's a good week? Is that yeah. why we didn't dawdle on anything? We didn't go, man, they just they just set themselves on fire. Um, no, I, I think it's because like it was a good week, so it's like, let's, uh, you know, in Sabbath week, it's like, all right, let's spend like, just lots of time on this one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> let's look at it from every possible angle. Um I got to use my nine runs hashtag a few times and it wasn't for the opposing team. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Also, I've noticed something when you score five runs and you hand it over to a leaky bullpen, horrible things happen. When you score nine or 10 or 11 runs and the bullpen leaks anyway, it doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) It comes out okay in the end. Um, Yeah. That Baltimore series was a mess. As yes, a final thought, a total mess. And I have no idea what's going to happen when they go to Baltimore. Ah, did you have a final thought for our friends out there in podcast land? I do. Last week, we mentioned that the MLB first year player draft was coming up. And, well, it came and went. The Blue Jays took well, they a very different strategy, actually, than they've had in the past few years. They did not take a single high school pitcher in the first 10 rounds. And they took a bunch of college guys. Their first pick was TJ Zoik. Which is an not interesting spelled name. the way you would think. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Z E U C H, you know, big flame throwing righty, maybe a future bullpen guy. They don't really know, but you know, it's it, it's a different strategy, and we'll have to see how it works. For the record, they have signed him. They signed Zach Jackson, not that guy they drafted and traded for Lyle Overbay, a different one. And Bo Bichette. So they've signed some of these guys already, which is nice. They can get in and start playing pro ball. But the overall view seems to be that it was not a good draft. Keith Law said it was the worst of all 30 teams. Now, so. I, I don't think K-Law has a problem with the Jays specifically. But he, he does have a problem with harsh opinions. <laughs> Yeah. Well, basically, his view was that given how much money they had to spend in the draft and who was available when they picked, he hated their choices. And obviously, this is the new regime mixed with the old regime. So you're going to get a different draft. Yeah, it's still strategy. Brian Parker running it, but it's also maybe new direction from the top. They want to probably refill some of the middle levels of, this, of the system, which were gutted by all the trades last year. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. That's the way with the draft every time. We'll see. And then... Five years later, it's kind of like, eh, I, I don't even know what we saw. <laughs> That's true. They did not take Zach Birdie, by the way, which we mentioned last time. Uh, sad trombone sound, at least for those of uh, the BP Toronto staff who were all keen on them giving that a shot. Yep. Uh, I had a final thought, and I've changed it. I all right, final, let's hear it. Yeah. Jose Reyes was DFA'd by the Colorado Rockies. Yes, he was. So this sort of brings the end of the blockbuster 2013 trade if i'm not mistaken to to toronto all, all the tailing ends have have gone because the three big pieces in that trade were jose reyes mark burley 
and Josh Johnson. But he's not technically retired yet. No, I don't know if perhaps he's coming back as a throw with his foot pitcher or something, but um, <laughs> you can't withstand. And of course, John Buck retired, who went the other way. Um, I did see that Jeff Mathis homered the other day. He won the trade. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought that he would be the last? Well, technically, I, su- I suppose Reyes could latch on with another team, but I'm guessing he's pretty toxic at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the unfortunate result of the uh, the legal proceeding against him and, and and the suspension and everything else. But that is probably a way sadder end to the 2013 trade than I ever thought would happen. There was a lot of <laughs> there was a whole lot of petering out there, was there not? Yeah. Yeah, that uh, it, it did not quite work out as anybody hoped. <laughs> well, anybody much. on the Blue Jays. It worked okay for the Marlins. Who's left on the Marlins side? Uh, Hechevarria is still there. Nice. And, and um, Nick Lino, I believe, is still there as well. And where did Henderson Alvarez end up? He's with Oakland now, but he pitched well for them until he got hurt. And they traded Desclafani to the Reds. Like And Merznick like- to the Astros. Like maple keys in the fall. <laughs> they just scatter everywhere eventually. Yeah, so there, you need that's to explain my... that one for me. Maple keys in the fall? You oh, that's take... what you said. No, yeah. no, no, I, I just heard you wrong. Okay. I'm like, you do know how it works with maple keys, right? You're Canadian, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Josh is an American. Anyway, uh, we'll be see, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Reyes. I, I mean, he's still a good player, so I'm guessing some team will eventually take a chance on him, but it probably won't be until next year. Indeed. All right. So time for the usual housekeeping. Um, You can, of course, find us on iTunes, where we would love you to rate and or review the podcast. Uh, Is the survey over? No, they still have one more week to do it. One more week to complete our survey, where you could win a jersey of your choice. Uh, You can get a link to that at the podcast website. You can also find it at BP Toronto, correct? If you search around. Yeah, and it only takes two or three minutes to fill out, so we'd appreciate getting your feedback. Absolutely. Uh, Going to help us make the podcast a more streamlined animal. Are animals streamlined? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you have been... Zebras? Jo- what? I said zebras? I don't think zebras are streamlined, Josh. The jump Pen- lines. Go ahead. <laughs> Penguins are streamlined. <laughs> You have been Josh Housem on the Twitter at Joshua Housem. I have been Greg Wisniewski on the Twitter at Coolhead2010. And this has been episode number 16 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.